0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres.
1: One case that Bannister was involved in was a reported crashed UFO event that actually did turn out to be a case of mistaken identity. But what was interesting is that before the mistaken identity identification was made, uh, Bannister actually received a classified behind closed doors meeting and briefing on the UFO subject from the military. And then, of course, he pops up in the Kennedy assassination years later. So we've got a lot of threads like that where people who were involved in the early years of ufology of the 40s suddenly cropped up in Dallas in 1963.
2: Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS 60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon 60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. 172 times. ESS 60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS 60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification further people report better sleep more energy and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS 60 organic oil to order your miracle molecule ESS 60 Click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Sarat c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Sarat buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout again use the coupon code EVRS at checkout.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Richard Serrett
2: Most of us have heard of close encounters of the third kind but what about close encounters of the fatal kind the field of uh, UFOs is rife with unsettling examples of suspicious deaths accounts of accidents that might not have been accidents after all researchers and witnesses have vanished never to be seen again Conveniently timed heart attacks are reported. Out-of-the-blue suicides that, upon investigation, bear the distinct hallmarks of murder are all too common. And grisly deaths at the hands of both extraterrestrials and government agents have occurred. Well, that's where we're going for the next 45 minutes or so. Nick Redfern is an author, lecturer, journalist who writes about a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot and, of course, the aforementioned UFOs, alien encounters, government conspiracies. His previous books include For Nobody's Eyes Only, Monster Files, The World's Weirdest Places, The Pyramids and the Pentagon, Keep Out, The Real Men in Black, The NASA Conspiracies, Contactees, and Memoirs, Of a monster hunter. He's also appeared on numerous television shows and networks, including Fox News, the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Monster Quest, UFO Hunters, of course, VH1's Legend Hunters, National Geographic Channel's The Truth About UFOs and Paranatural, uh, BBC's Out of This World, MSNBC's Countdown, and uh, he's been on this program a number of times, and we're always uh, pleased when Nick Redfern drops by. And uh, his book is titled Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, Suspicious Deaths, Mysterious Murders, and Bizarre Disappearances in UFO History. Nick Redfern, welcome once again. How are you?
1: Hi, Richard. I'm doing good, thanks. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. Good. Uh, interesting phrase. I've never heard it uh, 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 sort of spelled out that way. Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Because, you know, for many of us, when, when we're talking about... UFOs, the lights in the sky. Uh, we're thinking, well, it's a kind of a curious phenomenon, but we don't necessarily associate this more sinister side to it. Sure, we know about alien abductions and people being poked and prodded and so forth. But now we're talking about murder most foul. Um, what led you to write this sort of, or examine and investigate this more sinister side of the, the UFO uh, phenomena?
1: Well, basically, if we go back to when the whole UFO or the modern era of ufology kicked off in the summer of 1947, with the Kenneth Arnold sighting over Washington State and also the Roswell event in New Mexico, uh, we've got sort of 70 years of reports, thousands of reports, and during that period, there have been literally hundreds and hundreds of people who've immersed themselves in the UFO subject, whether witnesses, uh, people have had experiences, Uh, abductees and and writers and researchers. Now, of course, over the course of 70 years, there's been a lot of deaths in the field. Most of them are just regular deaths, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. But one of the things I found doing research um, was that every so often a a death would crop up that didn't just seem to be, you know, a regular death, where regular accidents or suicide or whatever. It seemed to have a lot of dark and disturbing angles to it, and so I spent about 18 months digging deeply into all the various deaths that had occurred in ufology over the years, um, siphoning out the sort of the, the, the straightforward, the innocent, and so forth from the other cases. And so that's, that's basically what I've done is to put together a sort of a compendium of from 40 from the 40s right through to the present day of deaths within ufology that's upon investigation don't just seem to be, you know, a case of of a regular death, that there seems to be something more to it. And interestingly, it seems to be the case that when somebody's getting a little bit too close to the truth, that those are the cases where it seems that these coincidental deaths, if you like, seem to occur
2: now are we talking about sort of a a kennedy death list where we're talking about uh, witnesses that got that may have gotten too close to the truth have been taken out by men in black but are and, or and are you are are you also including uh possible deaths at the hands of ets
1: well yeah it's actually a bit of both i mean you, the analogy with the kennedy assassination is an interesting one because There are quite a few cases I talk about in the book where it's not just one death. Um, Like the Kennedy assassination in some of these events, it's four or five deaths. In one particular chapter I include in the book, there's no less than 34 deaths linked with one particular UFO-related issue. So in that sense, um, you know, we have um, uh, deaths at the hands of, of humans. Now on the other hand, we have certain cases where there's a distinct possibility that the deaths were at the hands of the intelligences behind the UFO phenomenon. Uh, we're talking here sort of pilot uh, deaths and pilot disappearances as well, where we don't even have the body. We just, just don't know what happened to it, and we're forced to speculate that they're either killed, kidnapped, or just vanished into oblivion. We just don't really know.
2: Well let's let's dial it back to uh, to Roswell uh, in July 1947 and um, a number of suspicious deaths obviously that surround uh, the Roswell UFO crash let's let's detail some yeah. of those
1: Well I guess when people think of dead bodies in Roswell they think of the reported dead aliens you know you don't necessarily think of dead humans in connection with Roswell but there are actually a number of very weird deaths associated with Roswell that go right back to the days of the incidents and extend as late as 1989. Now, the rancher who found the wreckage at the time, uh, Mac Brazel, on the Foster Ranch in Lincoln County, New Mexico, um, there are indications that he may have seen other things and not just this weird, strange foil that was strewn all over the ranch. There are a lot of rooms that he may have seen bodies or decomposing body parts and was and was threatened not to talk about this, there's also been a story that his son, uh, Vern Brazel, um, also uh, was witness to some of these body parts and was traumatised by it. Now, that, of course, is a sort of rumour and speculation, but what is kind of intriguing but also tragic is that uh, he was only a young child at the time, but when he became old enough, um, he left New Mexico totally behind and traveled out to California and and basically blew his brains out, killed himself. And there have been a couple of people like that who didn't cope very well with the aftermath of the incident. Um, Jesse Marcel, uh, Major Jesse Marcel, who recovered um, part of the strange wreckage from the ranch, his son, the late Jesse Marcel Jr., um, spoke about how his father, after the incident, descended into full-blown alcoholism uh fortunately pulled himself out of it but the trauma of that affected him and another one a very weird death occurred in 1989 a woman named miriam bush now miriam bush was the executive secretary at the roswell military base hospital in the summer of 1947 and when the incident occurred she actually confided in her family at the time. They've since gone public, but she confided in her family that she'd seen these strange little bodies brought into the hospital for at least examination, if not a full-blown autopsy. And over the years, she also became full-blown alcoholic, and the family said that she lived basically in fear of what she'd seen. And then in 1989, something very strange happened. She started to think that someone was watching her or following her. And she became very fearful for her life. And um, in her last couple of days, she actually checked into a hotel room using her uh, sister's name and was found dead in the room with a plastic bag over her head. It essentially looked like she'd been uh, sort of strangled. But um, it was put down to suicide, but there were indications that it wasn't. That's just one case,
2: Roswell. The story that Glenn Dennis told Nick, uh, Glenn, of course, was the young mortician working at uh, the Ballard Funeral Homes uh, in Roswell at the time, and of course receives a call from the uh, Roswell Army uh, Airfield uh, asking for whether he has uh, child-sized coffins uh, that mm-hmm. should be delivered to the base, and uh, uh, he eventually goes out to the base. Uh, he told the, he tells the story or told the story of, of, of meeting a nurse. Uh, out uh, there uh, who talked to him about witnessing an autopsy uh, on these uh, aliens and described this horrific smell uh, and then warned Glenn that he better get the hell out of there. Um, That woman supposedly disappeared. Did you ever track down what happened to her and who she was? Mm,
1: Well, one of the best indications is she was the woman I mentioned before the break.
2: Oh, uh, that was Mary Miriam Bush. Bush. That was well, Miriam Bush.
1: Th- that's one of the speculations. Ah. Because the problem is that um, Glenn Dennis admitted that he never revealed the real name of the nurse. He said that he wanted for her own privacy to, to keep it secret. Now, what's interesting is that Miriam Bush wasn't a nurse at the hospital, but she was the hospital um, executive secretary. And so she did work at the hospital. And and the important thing is she told her family in 47 that she'd seen these weird bodies. So the the chances are it probably was um, Glenn Dennis's nurse. Uh, But what's even more intriguing is that in 1980, it was in 1989 that Glenn Dennis went public with his story about the nurse. And it was only a couple of months later that Miriam Bush started talking about how she felt she was being watched and followed. And then she was found dead. So this has sort of given rise to the theory that whoever was keeping the secret of Roswell may have realized that Glenn Dennis had essentially gone public with her story, if not her name. And if somebody tracked her down, then the whole thing could come tumbling out. But of course that didn't happen because her death intervened just like two months before Glenn Dennis told his story.
2: There were also rumors uh, that after the uh, UFO UFO crashes, because there was more than one, of course, uh, in Corona, New Mexico, near Roswell, that there was very quickly uh, Secret Service agents on the ground threatening people, uh, and that the sheriff at the time, George Wilcox, was given instructions to threaten people uh, not to talk publicly about it. Uh, and further, uh, that people were warned, if they did speak publicly, they and their entire families would be killed, and essentially, you know, buried out someplace in the vast desert, never to be found. Do we know? I mean, you, you, you're sort of uh, you're, you're taking this uh, story into the future and talking about people that have died subsequently. But is there any evidence to suggest that there were people killed and buried somewhere in the immediate aftermath of the of the UFO crash?
1: No, I've, I've not come across anything along those lines at all. No.
2: But we know that 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 that, that Wilcox. Uh, refused to run for re-election because I guess he felt so horrible about having to threaten people. Is that is yeah, that mean, true? One,
1: well, one of the people who we, who is still alive and who has gone on the record as stating that her and her family were threatened with their lives um, is Frankie Rowe. Um, her father was somebody who was involved um, in the in the aftermath of the event, and um, she as unequivocally said, you know, we, we, our lives were threatened. And um, and that's her real name, Frankie Rowe. You know, you can find her story on the Internet. And um, and she went public with it and still stands by it to this day. So, um, you know, there's people were essentially had the fear of God put into them. And I think that's why so many people did remain silent. I'm sure a lot of people have gone to their graves, you know, with the stories that they knew and never really spoke out. You know, for, for even sort of 50, 60 years afterwards, worried that somebody was still watching them, perhaps.
2: There's a, a, another case that occurred in 1947 that has really, in many ways, been forgotten. It's been overshadowed by Roswell, but it's the Maury Island uh, case in Washington State where we had the, the case of an alleged mid-air explosion of a flying saucer uh, and uh, the deaths of two military personnel. Tell me about the, uh, the Maury Island uh, case. Well, sure. Well, Maury
1: Island actually occurred just a couple of days before the famous Kenneth Arnold sighting over Washington State. Maury Island was also um, Washington State, and specifically uh, Tacoma, which is where Maury Island is situated. And the primary witness was a man named Harold Dahl. And Harold Dahl worked in the harbour of Maury Island. And when he was out there one particular morning, saw this almost like a squadron of flying saucers going over but they had sort of the centers cored out so they were kind of like a donut shape um one of them was acting in a very weird erratic fashion and suddenly exploded in midair sharing all this weird wreckage down into the into the water some of which sort of floated towards the um to the shoreline and Dahl was amazed uh, by this incident obviously and um When he got back to the shore, he collected some of this material as much as he could and handed it, some of it over to uh, a friend and colleague uh, named Fred Chrisman, who was basically his superior. But Chrisman appears to have had like a cover job as well because he turned up also later in the Kennedy assassination. But, um, what happened was that, um, Kenneth Arnold was actually hired by Ray Palmer, who edited Amazing um, Stories magazine at the time, to go out and investigate the Maury Island case. And because it attracted a lot of local media attention at the time, it also attracted the attention of the military. And what happened was that um, two military men, uh, Lieutenant uh, Frank Mercer Brown and Captain William Lee Davidson of Army Intelligence, actually flew out to Maury Island... And the, the order was that they should get together as much of this wreckage as they could and fly it to Wright Field, Ohio, which is now called Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where it could be examined to see what it was.
2: An infamous well, Hangar 18.
1: I'm sorry?
2: An infamous Hangar 18.
1: Yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah, so that's where you get a lot of the stories about crashed UFOs and dead alien rumors from at, at Wright, uh, Wright-Patterson. Um but unfortunately, they didn't make it to the base because shortly after taking off from a place called McCord Field, the, the plane they were flying in, a, a Boeing B-29, burst into flames and crashed to the ground, and both Davidson and, and Brown were killed. And interestingly, but also suspiciously, when the cleanup crew got there, they found that this curious uh, wreckage that they were bringing with them was just gone suggesting that maybe somebody else had got there before the official clean-up crew and had removed whatever this material was for, you know, who knows what purposes. But um, that was only the start of the deaths. Um, Two local media men who were reporting on the story quite actively, Ted Morello and uh, the other one, um, Paul Lance, Lance. and they both died under odd circumstances to the point where nobody, even doing the autopsy, was really sure what it was that had killed them. It was just a very strange situation. And Kenneth Arnold himself, the man responsible for sort of almost coining the term flying saucer, um, he almost died as well. When he flew back um, home, from when the Maury Island incident was completed in terms of his investigation, he took to the skies and... Um, I'd almost had like a a crash when he he realized afterwards what had happened was that whoever had filled the fuel tank up before he took off to fly home, they'd failed to close the fuel tank. And the result was that the higher he got in the sky, the fuel actually froze in the tank. And it was only due to his skill as a pilot that he managed to sort of semi crash land the plane uh, without too much damage. and. You know, He didn't get killed, but he, he came actually very close to it. So he had four deaths and almost five, one being arguably one of the most famous people ever in ufology.
2: It's interesting. Why, why doesn't the Maury Island case get more attention?
1: Well, why doesn't it? Is
2: that what it why <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? why
1: doesn't it? Well, that's actually a good question. I mean, it has actually been the subject of a very good full-length book by Ken Thomas called Maury Island UFO. The problem is that... A number of researchers back then just dismissed the case as a hoax um, uh, that sort of tragically went out of control when these deaths occurred. But And so what's happened over the years is that many people have just sort of assumed, oh, well, it is a hoax, and they don't bother looking into it. But when we do dig into it and we find you know, these military deaths, we find Fred Chrisman, the man who actually was given the wreckage by Harold Dahl, popping up in the Kennedy assassination, to the point where none other than Jim Garrison actually thought that Chrisman was one of the gunmen involved in, in the shooting. Um, so you have a lot of weird threads like that. Um, there's an FBI file on the event which runs to about 40 or 50 pages which has been declassified through the terms of the Freedom of Information Act. So we have government files which actually contain photographs of some of the wreckage as well. So in that sense... It's it's an assumption on the part of many that there's nothing to it, and that's why it's been overlooked. I think, but the more you look into it, you find all these very strange, weirds and stra- uh, weird strands to it that, you know, suggest we should look into it further.
2: Well, there, there are, I'm guessing, many points of convergence between uh this UFO death list and the Kennedy death list and oh, yeah. a, a little bit later I, w- I want to ask you about Marilyn Monroe but let me sort of continue on in, in more or less of a, a chronological uh order here and we just we discussed two very high profile cases from 1947 but but let's uh, let's move ahead to 1948 and the death of a national guard captain uh mm-hmm. and and whether or not actual ets aliens may have been responsible for Captain Thomas mantle's death
1: yeah, well, this is a very uh, sort of famous but also infamous case because it might represent the first um, example of a pilot being killed as a result of trying to intercept a UFO. And it occurred in early January 1948 involving a pilot, Captain Thomas Mantell, who was based at a place called Goodman Army Airfield. Now, the, the official story... Well, there are actually two official stories... One is that um, Mantell mistakenly chased the planet Venus, uh, got too high, became disoriented through lack of oxygen, passed out, and the plane plunged to the ground. The other scenario, which is broadly similar, replaces Venus um, with a a large weather balloon, or a skyhook balloon, as they were known, which is sort of a very large balloon. Um, The big question, of course, is whether or not a skilled pilot who served in the second world war and had hundreds of hours as a pilot couldn't tell the difference between venus a balloon and a ufo and that's of course one of the main reasons why the case remains so valid to many ufo researchers but the what would the the essential facts are that in on january the 7th 1948 um personnel at um goodman army airfield were seeing this strange object on the fringes of the base, high in the sky. Nobody knew what it was. It was seemingly just hovering. Um, and so there were actually no aircrafts available at the time to try and intercept it. But as fate would have it, Mantel and three other aircraft pilots were flying back to the base. Um, unfortunately, none of them had oxygen masks and one of them had a problem with the plane. So it ended up that three of them landed, just leaving Mantell to try and intercept this object and see what it was. So he climbed and climbed and climbed, um, eventually reaching about 25,000 feet. Now, the fact is that he should have had, you know, an oxygen mask. It was dangerous to go higher and higher because you start to become affected and actually you don't realize you are becoming affected the next thing we know was that uh, Mantel said he could see the object. It looked gigantic. It was gleaming bright. He had no idea what it was, and that was essentially the last conversation. What happened next was that the plane just plunged to the ground, and, of course, Mantell was killed outright. What's interesting, though, is that the aircraft, oddly, wasn't that badly damaged, and one of the uh, military people who, since... Spoke out about this particular incident and uh, commented on it uh, was a, uh, Captain James F. Dusler, um who was actually the deputy commander at the base at the time, and he said that uh, the odd thing was that Mantel's body was barely damaged. In fact, he didn't have a, a scrap on the exterior of his body at all, which is something that very rarely happens in you know major traumatic plane crashes. It's not like the movies where you know, they just drag the bodies out and put them in a bag. I mean, a a really bad plane crash. The bodies are just pulverised. But with Mantell, there reportedly wasn't even a mark on the external parts of his body at all.
2: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month. Plus, access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on gain access to premium episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today?
0: As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? Nope. Me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: Nick Redfern is with us. He is a, a terrific researcher of strange phenomena, but he is also one of the most prolific writers I know of. And uh, he's with us with a brand new book entitled Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about the death of U.S. Secretary of Defense James Forrestal, who was uh, the United States, I believe, the first U.S. Secretary of Defense. And uh, he died under rather strange circumstances in 1949. Is there a UFO connection?
1: Well, yeah, this is, I guess, one of the most disturbing stories of all, uh, Richard, You're quite right that um, James Forrester was the very first Secretary of Defense. He was given that position in 1947. And 1947, interesting year, the year in which the CIA was created, the National Security Act was passed, Roswell, Kenneth Arnold, and the first Secretary of Defense. Now, there have been long-standing stories within ufology that when Forrester was given this position that, you know, he was briefed on the entire angle of UFOs and what the official world knew about it at that time, which, of course, wasn't a great deal because the subject had really just begun in the summer of 47. But certainly, you know, he may well have been briefed on recoveries of crashed UFOs, bodies, and so forth. Now, what's interesting is that there's absolutely no doubt that um, Forrester was a man who had his sort of emotional demons, so to speak. He didn't handle stress well. He had mood swings. His marriage was quite fraught as well. His wife also suffered from quite violent mood swings. So with hindsight, he may not have been the best person to entrust with you know, a mountain of defense-related issues every day, a very stressful job at the best of times, never mind being briefed on the possibility that we're being visited by creatures from another world that we don't really understand. But everything kind of came to a head in 1949, when Forrestal's psychological condition dramatically worsened to any other previous time. And he was eventually admitted to the Bethesda uh, Naval Hospital in Maryland. And he was there actually for quite a few weeks, uh, but reportedly made good progress and was due to be released and was planning his future, whether in government or outside. And, you know, he seemed like a man who, you know, gone through a dark time, as a lot of people do, and come out the other side or on the verge of doing so. Now, that appeared to be the case, but it all came to a, literally like a crashing halt on May the 22nd, 1949, in the early hours, when his body was either, well, he was either pushed or he fell or jumped from the 13th floor of the Bethesda Hospital, and slammed down on the third-floor canopy of the building. And, of course, you know, falling that far, 10 floors from the 13th to the 3rd, you're just not going to survive that, and and certainly he didn't. As I said, there have been a number of stories over the years talking about how, after becoming the Secretary of Defence, he was briefed on the UFO subject, and he actually did become quite paranoid, thinking that people were following him right up until the time of his admission to the hospital. And even his brother who actually tried to get him released from the hospital the very day after he died, he phoned the hospital up just hours before um, he killed himself and said, look, I'm taking my brother home tomorrow, like it or not. And that may have been, uh, you know, his fatal mistake, because it was that very night that uh, the Forrestal died or was killed. Unfortunately, we'll probably never really know the full story. But one of the weird things that I talk about in the book was that just a few weeks before he was admitted to the hospital, he had what was sounds eerily like an early man in black type encounter when this sort of strange looking character turned up on his door and tried to get into the house, using like a cover story as a as a cover essentially. And his his housemaid basically wouldn't let him in. So that in itself was very weird and um as to the final moments of Forester's life, I mean they're shrouded in mystery that probably today will never really be resolved. I mean for example, one of the theories was that well, if it was suicide that supposedly he tied the cord from his dressing gown around his neck and the other end around the radiator and climbed out of the window. But the big question was whether or not the cord that was just meant to go around his waist would allow it to be tied around his neck and around the radiator and still have enough length to allow him to climb out the window and then sort of just hang himself that way. We do know that when the window, the exterior of the window was examined, there were like sort of clawed marks as if he'd been struggling. That's given rise to speculation that he was struggling to get back in because somebody had pushed him out. So there are a lot of unanswered questions. So in that sense, at least, it's very much like the Kennedy assassination where it's a highly suspicious death, but one that's With the passage of time, you know, it's always going to be wide open, I think.
2: A couple of memos. One sent, allegedly, to the CIA director from Jack Kennedy, uh, dated November 12, 1963, in which he asks for access to UFO files. The subject of the memorandum was Classification Review of All UFO Intelligence Files Affecting National Security. And then a second memo, supposedly sent to the NASA Administrator, in which the president expresses a desire for cooperation with the former Soviet Union on mutual outer space activities, whatever that means. Some have speculated that those two memos may have led to his assassination. Your thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is probably the most controversial death of all with, um, with UFO links to it, you know, a US president. But as fantastic as it sounds, there are actually a lot of threads and links between the killing of Kennedy and the UFO mystery. Um, You mentioned the memos. Um, A couple of these, the sort of, the unofficial ones where we don't have validation that they're real came from a man named Timothy Cooper who claimed to receive them from elderly military sources back in the 1990s. So those documents are controversial, but there's actually a a verifiable real document which has surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act showing that Kennedy actually did uh, just a few days before his death um, make advances where he wanted to approach the soviets to essentially um, combine on sort of like a, an outer space program uh, you know and a sharing of data um, and just the day before he was killed um, kennedy actually unveiled six new buildings at brooks air force base in texas which were dedicated um, to furthering our understanding of space medicine. You know, how would the human body react to low gravity or no gravity and so on? And one of the people uh, Kennedy met while he was at Brooks Air Force Base um, was at, uh Major General Theodore Bedwell. And it turns out that Bedwell actually held a senior medical position at Wright Field, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, in the summer of 1947 when the bodies were brought in so that's actually all verifiable as I said earlier um, uh, Fred Chrisman involved in the Maury Island case was actually someone that none other than Jim Garrison who was played by Kevin Costner in the in Oliver Stone's JFK um, Jim Garrison came to believe that Fred Chrisman who had ties to the Atomic Energy Commission and a bunch of other agencies was actually one of the gunmen who shot Kennedy um another link in also with JFK uh guy bannister who was a, a special agent with the FBI in the 1940s but someone who was also suggested as being a key player in the kennedy assassination and he was portrayed in JFK uh by ed asner and uh, but back in 47 um, he was actually guy bannister was actually involved in a number of um, UFO incidents, investigations of UFO incidents for the FBI. And all these documents, again, have surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act. They're all official, officially released documents. And um, one case that Bannister was involved in was a reported crashed UFO event. That actually did turn out to be a case of mistaken identity. But what was interesting is that before the mistaken identity identification was made, Uh, Bannister actually received a classified behind-closed-doors meeting and briefing on the UFO subject from the military. And then, of course, he pops up in the Kennedy assassination years later. So we've got a lot of threads like that, where people who were involved in the early years of ufology in the 40s suddenly cropped up in Dallas in 1963.
2: It's amazing. And while we're on the subject of Jack Kennedy... Uh, Marilyn Monroe, uh, and the infamous Red Diary supposedly containing the contents of pillow talk she had with JFK, perhaps RFK, uh, and the suggestion uh, that uh, Kennedy had talked about uh, perhaps visiting um, some sort of a military base, seeing alien bodies, and she was going to go public with this information.
1: Yeah, we know that um, that Marilyn Monroe had an affair at one point with President Kennedy. And although she's sort of portrayed as this, you know, sort of crazy blonde, that, that was sort of her movie image. She was actually very clever and learned and well-read uh, woman. And um, she was also a sort of prestigious keeper of journals and diaries. And she had this one that became known as the Red Book, which supposedly contained all the information that that Kennedy told her about plans to invade Cuba and, you know, how things are working out or not working out with the Russians and all sorts of different things like this national security issues. Now, after her death in August 1962, the Red Diary was, was taken to the coroner's office and a number of people have spoken out on the record who had involvement in the aftermath of her death and said they saw this diary But then said that it vanished mysteriously a couple of days after being taken into the coroner's office and it's never surfaced since but in 1995 a researcher named tim cooper came forward with a document um purported to be a teletype uh, essentially like um a transcript of a a telephone conversation excuse me between um a journalist named dorothy kilgallen who also died under mysterious circumstances digging into the Kennedy assassination.
2: As did Mae Russell,
1: Exactly, but essentially it was like a conversation between Kilgallen and uh, a mutual friend of uh, Kilgallen and Marilyn Monroe named Howard Rothberg. And it talks about how Marilyn Monroe had supposedly confided in them about how Kennedy had told her that he'd been taken to this military base to see what was described as a crashed spacecraft and bodies from space. Um, kind of like you know he becomes elected and then he gets the briefing as possibly Forrestal did, um, and so there are a lot of weird things like that that's you know sort of don't just relate directly to the assassination, but we have these sort of extending threads of people dying like Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen as well.
2: We I've talked a, a number of times on this program uh, about the strange phenomena known as the animal mutilations, Mm. uh, predominantly livestock, uh, sheep, cattle, horses. Um, But what we don't hear about too often are some of the most disturbing cases of alien abduction involving human Mm. mutilation. What can you tell us about human mutilation at the hands, allegedly, of aliens?
1: Mm. Well, this is very much a subject that kind of goes under the radar. It's sort of, I guess, underappreciated, even within the UFO field. I think a lot of people just view it as too controversial. But nevertheless, there are actually quite a few reports on file where people, where bodies have reportedly been found, human bodies with really strange mutilations like tongues and eyes removed, organs removed, in the vicinity of UFO activity and clearly where the people hadn't been attacked by wild animals. And certainly one of the most graphic ones came from a man named Leonard Stringfield who was not just a UFO researcher, but he was also um, an intelligence officer with the military as well during the Second World War. And he was given a story by someone he described as a high-ranking military officer who he trusted implicitly who told him about an event that occurred in Cambodia in 1972, involving reportedly a team of U.S. military personnel who stumbled upon some sort of UFO, a large circular-shaped UFO, and these, what were clearly alien-type creatures, sort of the classic greys, if you like, of ufology, these small creatures with large heads. And they were loading numerous human bodies and body parts into these huge bins and essentially loading them aboard the UFO, and reportedly there was a firefight between these extraterrestrials and the military team which culminated in deaths on both sides, and the, the aliens reportedly retreated, and their craft took to the skies Now it's a very controversial story, but as I said Stringfield had a legitimate military background, an intelligence officer, and said he'd completely and fully checked out the source, and was You know, as I said, completely convinced of his veracity and honesty, and so on. But um, that's just one example. I mean, I talk about other ones in the book where bodies have been found in the woods on a couple of occasions, again in similar fashion, with organs removed in. I won't say ritualistic fashion because that kind of makes it sound like a like a satanic cult or something. That was one of the theories addressed. But when you find that some of these cases have occurred in the direct vicinity of UFO events, that's sort of what's left the door wide open to the possibility that it may not just be cattle that have been systematically uh, mutilated and even dissected, it may well be people as well.
2: And and, and are there other parallels to animal or cattle mutilations where the the bodies of these humans have been entirely exsanguinated, drained of blood?
1: Um, There are actually a couple of cases like that, I mean for, to give you one example, I don't talk about this in in this particular book, but I've been on many investigations to Puerto Rico in search of the so-called chupacabra, which reportedly has the ability to drain blood. And primarily, the animals attacked have supposedly been farm animals. But every time I've been to Puerto Rico, I've heard stories and rumors of um, human mutilations, where blood, where people were found dead drained of blood, and the stories with the authorities covered up the fact to prevent panic breaking out on Puerto Rico. Now, certainly, everybody I spoke to who knew of these stories admitted that, you know, these were sort of the, you know, the more extreme and controversial end, and they were likely the the cases that would be hidden more than anything else. And that seems to be the case. I've, I've uncovered a lot of witness reports and testimony, but I haven't come across an actual provable case of a body found dead and drained of blood in puerto rico but I, I have uncovered i would say 12 to 15 stories all from totally independent people who knew something about these events which adds, you know does add to credibility because they're not obviously all telling the same story where they've kind of got together you know they're clearly talking about different events and from their own perspectives
2: uh, uh, finally, um, Nick, and we just have a, about a minute and a half here, I wanted to ask you about a recent spate of, of deaths in the UFO research community. I'm talking about people like Philip Coppens, who died of a very rare form of cancer, uh, angiosarcoma, which is cancer of the heart. Uh, then we had uh, Lloyd Pye, of course, uh, the researcher on the, uh, the star child skull, uh, dying of uh, B cell carcinoma. Um, Stanley Fulham, pancreatic cancer. Uh, Dr. Carla Turner, breast cancer, Sherry uh, Adiamac, breast cancer, James Allen Higgins, liver bile duct cancer. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, I mean, this is one of the things i pointed out in the book, is we have to be very careful, you know, what we, ex- we kind of put into this category versus what we don't. The main reason being, I point out, you know, that all UFO researchers at the end of the day a human. We're all mortal. You know, there's nothing special about the physical makeup of human beings versus UFO researchers. You know, we're all exactly the same. And unfortunately, you know, you you get athletes who die at 25 on the football pitch. You get somebody who goes down with cancer at 35. Um, like Mac Tony, he's a good friend of mine. Mac had an existing heart condition and died at 34. And I've heard stories that, oh, well, you know, he was silenced. He clearly was, you know, he had a verifiable heart condition. So, you know, yes, there have been a lot of deaths in ufology, but I point out that we need to be careful that we don't just go down the path of, oh, they died and they were a UFO researcher, so it had to have been mysterious. Do you see what I mean? We need to rule out the mundane first, so to
2: speak. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Nick, all I can say to you is be safe. Uh, We need you and uh, appreciate your work.